Hey, everybody, you are listening to the Talk Your Sass show. I'm your host, Jenna Bowens, also known on the internet as Gen Talks Tech. I'm a tech industry veteran currently working as a design systems manager. I'm also your friendly local UX career coach. I'm all about helping us transition into tech and get this tech money. I want to make tech look more like us. This is a show featuring stories and conversations about what it really means for black and brown women to be successful in their careers. I have conversations about all things tech, career, and that means strategies for success, the good, the bad, the glow up, and the ugly, and the traumatic, because we know sometimes corporate can be traumatic. It's all about how we heal and learn lessons along the way. I also talk about things like luxury lifestyles, mindset hacking, skill building, and building generational wealth. I want to change the narrative and share stories and experiences of Black women that are changing the trajectory of their lives and their families' lives and using these tech coins to do it. Let's talk some sass. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Talk Your Sass show. Today, I do have a guest host. We have Ariana here. She is known on the internet as Ari Talks Tech. And we can get into that later. That's probably why we know each other in the first place, because we kind of have a similar name on IG. But welcome to the Talk Your Sass show, Ari. So good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So for those who may not know, Ari and I met at Content Bowl last year, which was like this content strategy, content, social media content creation conference. And I came through Ellie. I don't know. Did you come through Ellie as well? I came through Asia. Get rich or get drunk trying. Okay. Yeah. I have been following both of them, but I I came through Ellie. And so we met there and we've kind of been in contact ever since then. I I noticed that that's what her name was. Ari Talks Tech when she put like was commenting in the comments. And I was like, wait, like somebody else has this same similar name. I'm just going to say hi. And then we just started talking and we've been connected on IG ever since. So uh, I think that's cool how that happens. You just like meet people, never met them in real life, but then stay connected to them. So that's how we got here. And she's also a black woman in tech. So even better. She is a technical program manager, and we're going to get into all of those good things in this episode. So uh, first, I want to ask you, what was your first job like ever, like growing up? Wow. So my first job was at Sonic. That's still my favorite fast food place. And I worked there back when they still wore roller skates. Oh my God, um, really? I've never met somebody yes. who was roller skating. That's cool. <laughs> yes, I was skating, dropping off shakes, sometimes falling, but it was fine. So yeah, I got started in fast food. I was actually 15 when I started, but I lied on my like application because I needed money really bad. <laughs> but yep, <laughs> I did that all through high school. Okay, Sonic. What's up? Holla at your girl. If y'all need, <laughs> she can sponsor. She said that's her favorite um fast food. If y'all need some UGC. Yeah, content. I would love, I would love a Sonic sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I always ask all of my guests this. 
let's talk about your eight-year-old self. And the reason why I focus on on eight is because all this research, um, psychologists, psychiatrists, whoever, all these kind of smart people who do studies, researchers, said that at eight years old, that's when women, girls start to kind of believe what the world has to say about them instead of what their original dream was. And then they start to like, if you said like, mama, I wanted to be a, I don't know, an astronaut, like that would be the age when you heard outside noise outside of your head, whether it's like your family, whether it's like classmates, teachers, whoever say like, okay, you're not going to be an astronaut girl, like stop playing. So Mm. that's the age when that happens. So I like to ask everybody that, like, what was your eight-year-old self like? And what did you want to be? Like, what did that eight-year-old girl dream about? So I remember in grade. So is that like fourth grade? Third grade. Third grade, fourth grade. Okay. Third grade, fourth grade. Wow. I remember I really used to want to be a veterinarian when I was that age. I love animals. I was obsessed with Dr. Doolittle. I thought I could talk to them too. (laughs) Um, I remember very vividly wanting to do that. And it was, I didn't understand because I was a kid, but like, you know, technically that's like a medical profession. So now looking back, I do think it was very like, oh, that's cute. Like you want to be like a doctor, like, you know, like not really taken seriously. But I was also always very, like, mature. Like, my mom even described me as a serious little kid. (laughs) And, like, I think I never, I didn't never get discouraged by, like, the messages of the world. But I just remember them not making logical sense. And, like, I would never just, like, take on a belief that I couldn't figure out the logic behind it, like, if this person can do it, I can do it. Like, if I'm good at math, I'm good at math. If that's weird because I'm a girl and because I'm Black, like, I don't really understand why. Like, and then the older I got, like, I realized, like, that's where the money was, kind of in those type of fields. So I just, I just always knew I was kind of going to be more in that kind of STEM type area, because that was what made sense to me and what I liked. So Yeah, that's an interesting question, but I do remember people just thinking I was so weird for thinking that way. That's interesting because I know, like, for me, I didn't really know anyone in any kind of STEM field, never had that. I mean, we had, of course, like movies, Dr. Doolittle, all these kinds of things. Of course, Eddie Murphy was the GOAT at that time anyway, (laughs) but... I never knew anyone personally in the STEM field or uh, Mm. had that kind of influence or um, just kind of like going with that saying, like, you can't be what you can't see. So did you have that kind of inspiration or somebody to look at that you kind of modeled after or that got you interested in STEM before finally like coming into tech? Yeah, so I definitely did. I'll actually say that sixth grade was a pivotal year for me in multiple ways. So in sixth grade, I applied to go to this magnet school because they had a technology program and I was super interested in technology. Wait, like you yourself, like not your mom. No, my little adult C 
serious child self. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you, def- <laughs> you def- your mom was right because that's dope, though. A sixth grader that's like, yeah, mom, you don't know what school I need to go to. Let me go ahead and apply for this school. <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, because I remember, like, in fifth grade, it was like, people are like, oh, what middle school are you going to? And you start hearing about these different schools and programs. And, like, I went to school with a lot of white people. And, like, I remember, like, one of my white friends was, like, talking about applying to different schools. And, like, the the school, like, the natural next middle school you didn't have to apply to. So I was like, what do you mean, like, apply? Like, what is that? And she was explaining, like, oh, it's just based on your grades. And, like, different schools have different specialties. Like, there was one kind of more vocational and then there's the technology one. And, like, I guess she let me see her papers or whatever, the different schools. So I got me some papers, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I, uh, it just seems so cool to me. So that was really cool. And, like, that year, that program, I remember I wanted a computer so bad, but we couldn't afford it. And they had an after-school program at the magnet school that once I got in where if you can build a computer and make it work, you can take it home for free. Wow. So I dedicated all my free time after school that year to building the computer and it worked. And I took it home and we had a free computer. <laughs> Let me give you some roses. Like first of all, don't, <laughs> you need some flowers. <laughs> That's why I'm saying in 2023, like I'm actually going to be giving Black women in tech like real flowers, like sending it to them. But anyway, so I'm probably I could start with you. That's cute. <laughs> um, Thank you. I love flowers. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, from going to the school, picking out your own school, and then like. I don't want to say stealing, borrowing homegirls' papers because, like, you need some papers too, right? Like, mm-hmm, find mm-hmm. out. And then you were at twelve. People were probably, I don't know, what, what do we do at twelve? Like, they just know. don't want two behind no boys. That's all they care about at twelve. Yeah, going to the mall. I don't know. Whatever people that's twelve do, you weren't doing it. You sat in the house and you built that. You built that computer. And yeah. you got a free computer for the household. So, like, what, what did your mom say after that? I will say my mom has always been my biggest, like, supporter and taught me I can do anything. Um, but she was definitely shook. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing. And she she's always known, like, how smart I was, like, more than anyone. Like, she taught me to read very early. I was, like, I was reading way before school started. A different thing. And she, like, that, like, same with the paperwork, she would give me responsibilities because she knew that I could handle it and that I needed a lot of stimulation. Um, And she was a single mother, and she needed, like, it's a lot of paperwork around here, so if you know how to do yours, like, by all means. So she, I remember her being, like, kind of, like, what has this girl gotten into? And I also (laughs) remember it was a really big sacrifice for me to go to that school because it was way on the other side of um the city and we had to do we had to do all this stuff she had to call the bus people and arrange a whole different thing where I transferred onto different schools buses like it was a whole thing like I would commute for like maybe two hours each day just because 
how everything was set up. Um, but I think that she was like, once I did it, she was like, wow, like she didn't even realize like how much potential I had in me, you know? And then at that moment, she just was like so proud and just like, you know, just so thankful and blessed and like just poured every penny she had into my education. She was always big on education, but after the computer, like she would do so much to make sure I could get to different programs and things that I really wanted to do. I love that. I love that for you and that she did that and you had that growing up because a lot of people are, you know, missing that or don't Mm -hmm. have it now. So How did you, uh, this story is so interesting. Like, that's why I'm still (laughs) not able to move into my next question. (laughs) But how did you like see the potential in yourself? Because that's a big thing that I feel like I share as well. Like, I'm not going to get into my stuff here because I feel like this is about you. But, um, how did you see the potential in yourself? Like, I know I could build this computer or like I can go after this other school. This girl is getting in, getting in. So then like, why can't I get in type of thing? So how did you build that up for yourself at such a young age? Um, And then can you give any tips for anybody like right now that might be having some imposter syndrome and kind of hasn't, reach that level where they can, you know, speak to themselves and see the potential in themselves. And then before it actually like is public or manifested, like in, in life. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. First off, we're going to have to talk because I want to hear your story too. Um, <laughs> I'm super interested, but I think, Honestly, I would just say that's like a gift from God I've always had. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, I have just always been able to see, I think, like, I really fully think anything's possible. Like, if I find out, like, today, like, you can learn how to fly, like, I'm like, how do we learn? Like, I'm not the person. I'm, like, real laughing because I've said something similar. Like, if I'm, like, if we could go to the moon, I don't even, that's a whole other thing, but, like, I'll sign up and go to the moon. Yeah, like, and I think, and I will say, I'm not going to act like I never had imposter syndrome because I do think that is the kind of the beauty of being naive as a kid. Because I didn't have full context of things sometimes to understand, like, this is actually a really big feat, right? Like, all I knew was in elementary school, we could play games on the computer. We could write papers on the computer. And I liked it. And I asked my mom for a computer and we couldn't get one. And if I could do this thing, then I could get one. I didn't understand that the this thing part was like take apart a motherboard. Like I didn't, I didn't understand, <laughs> you know, I was just like, yeah. no, I want a computer. I'm smart. Like I'm, if anyone can do it, I can do it. And like, and it was, it was a teacher like thing too. It's not like I just like literally found the parts, like a little like Einstein, like it was a teacher. It was an after school program. And I just, 
knew. I, I don't know. I just always have known. I've never really, I will at least try. I'll say that about myself. Like, I won't say I've never count myself out, but even if I have doubts or even if I have fears, I will always try. And yeah. that is the advice I would give people because I think that we are our biggest critics like 99% of the time. And there are a lot of outside critics, whether it's family, friends, society, stereotypes. And I I think it also came from a part of me growing up in that one parent household. I just wanted to help my mom so much all the time. And I knew that if I could do this, it would be a huge help to her. So worst case scenario, I start the program and I don't get the computer. Well, I don't have a computer right now. So yeah, what's the worst? Yeah, like, okay, I was I was at school after school, like big deal. Like, I don't have nothing else to do. My mom's at work. Like, (laughs) you know, so that's the advice I would give people. Even if you have doubts or you feel like an imposter, just give it a shot. You will be so surprised what you can do. I 110% agree. And what, what city was this? Like what, where are you, where were you growing up at? So this is Fort Worth, Texas. That's where I was born and raised. That's where I currently live. It's the sister city to Dallas. Most people are familiar with Dallas, but it's about 30 miles west of Dallas. Okay, cool. We'll have to talk about Texas and Dallas later. It's a big part of, some part of my life. (laughs) So, okay. So let's talk about your tech career now. So you found out that you had definitely technical skills, technical acumen at a young age. So how does that translate into you growing up, going to college, and then getting into the tech field? Did you Mm -hmm. have a technical major or like how did you really like start as an adult in tech? Yeah, so I actually kind of went away from tech after that. Like, I think it gave me a good amount of confidence to just try anything. And I would, I did a lot of different academic programs, and I was exposed to the industry of architecture. And I really, really, really was into that. So actually, from about Literally, like, the next year was when I discovered architecture. I was obsessed with it all through high school. And I even picked my college based on that, a a good college that gave me a lot of scholarship that had an architecture program. But I think, once again, just God, like, I'm Christian. I don't know what anyone is. I don't want to offend anyone. But what I believe is God or the powers that be was calling me back to tech because when I was in the architecture program, I was in a lecture with a guest speaker who he actually was a part of the team that designed the Apple headquarters in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's like, it's like a city. Like it's like, it's like an architectural like monument. It's literally the size of a city. People live there and work there. It's very controversial, and he was kind of talking about stuff like that, too. But anyway, this huge, big wig alumni was giving us a lecture, and he mentioned that the new way architecture going is the tech, because 
that's back when they did sketches of everything. But now the people who are really at the top are able to do the 3D modeling on computer okay. programs. So that's when I, it just kind of, I was like, oh my God, I love tech anyway. It kind of fits back together. I really wasn't, I was still into architecture, but I was just figuring it out. Like, you know, you think you want to do something just because you heard it and you hear it makes a lot of money. So anyway, that led me to transfer to LSU because they had a great architecture program and they had a technology program. So my plan was to kind of combine the two, like he said, to be a really good architect. And I joined the information systems degree major, and that's within our business school. And I just fell in love again. Like, it was just, it was like an old friend, like, girl, where did you go? Like, (laughs) you know, yeah. And I've always been super into business. Like, I've been obsessed with Shark Tank and stuff like that. So having that kind of the curricular around economics, business, you know, things like that with the technology aspect. I just loved it. So I dropped the architecture minor and I graduated with a bachelor's in information systems and a concentration in data analytics. Wow. So again, (laughs) so crazy. Like I'm also a Christian believer in God, 110%. So again, anyway, I don't, I mean, it's not a surprise at this point, so I don't feel like anyone should be offended or like caught off guard by this. But it's so crazy, this story, because I was also in the architecture school at, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at Ohio State University. And I was like going in an urban design pathway because I also liked like like I thought that the Jetsons was going to be like a real situation. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like all those like futuristic cartoons and movies from back in the day where they were like in these futuristic cities and they like build futuristic cities and the architecture looks like that. Like, I guess kind of like how Singapore or Dubai is now where like mm-hmm. it's, it's something that somebody thought of and nobody saw it before. I was going in that way because that's what I wanted to do. But then, yeah, sidetrack, went in a different direction, took a pivot, left that behind. So I have a very similar story. Wow. Let me find out we're life twins. Girl, I didn't even know. Yeah, I have been talking on Instagram this whole time and had no idea. So that's, That's I mean, that's why you're here, right? So, yeah. I want everybody to take away from this, though, that like, People think a career path is linear. And then even especially in tech, that people think that one, like the huge myth that you have to somehow be like coding or, you know, some kind of a computer engineer major Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever to be able to get into tech and have a, a thriving or happy career in tech or make a lot of money. You have to kind of start in these one in this one place or take this one path and this so not true that you can come from so many different backgrounds so many different paths I mean I could switch tomorrow and do something else Mm -hmm. and though I've been doing this one thing so it's just like you don't have to believe that or follow that at all and um, I, I definitely want to point that out at this point in the conversation because as you can see both Ari and I 
even though we have a similar path, did not come from uh, majoring any any kind of tech major or you know working in a specific tech field. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's something important that I think people need to know for their career. So then let's talk about how you then found like technical program management, like coming out of that information system school. Uh, my college roommate was in that uh, major, but it, she took a lot of pivots also to figure out like what was the job that she was going to take. I think some people kind of get stuck sometime on the opposite end is like if it's a more generalist path or major people kind of get overwhelmed with like the amount of choices that they can take. So how did you narrow it down to then move into the technical program management? Mm -hmm. So kind of the same as like you said before, very, it was not linear at all. Like a part of my information systems degree is we had a program management class because like if people aren't familiar, program management is not necessarily only in tech, but it's it's used at every tech company and it comes from the tech industry. So it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, so I had never heard of it before that class. Honestly, long story short, I hated that class. I really liked the professor, but the class, it was like a, a group project-based class. I always had trash groups. I always ended up doing the whole project. I you have to be kind of very precise to do program management. I was like a sophomore. I was still like barely doing my homework and stuff and it wasn't cutting it. So I had written off program management way before I graduated. I was like, we got through that. Like, but coming up junior year-ish, junior, senior year-ish, when, you know, career conversations are being had, people are doing interviews and mock interviews and networking events. I just sat myself down and I started Googling salaries. I mean, just as simple as that, because like you said, there's so many different aspects of tech. And like, I feel like, I don't know about you. I don't know how your college program was based, but like in my program, like some of my classes would have a lot of computer science majors in it. And our computer science program was a part of the engineering school. And, like, everyone in the engineering school was kind of snobby. Like, it was like, oh, I'm an engineer. I'm a computer science major. Like, your information systems. Like, it was very weird, and I didn't understand it. But I'm saying that to say when I sat down and Googled salaries, you know, it was, like, project manager engineer. So I was like, why would I sit around coding all day when I can, like, do something where I get to talk to people. I don't have to, I don't have to be, it made me not want to be in an area where I have to work with engineers a lot because of my perception of how the computer science and engineers treated us and kind of looked down on our degree. So I was like, well, that's a good alternative because I didn't want the highest possible salary range, but I didn't want to have to be stuck coding all day, which I learned how to code. There's nothing wrong with coding. I just didn't want to be around engineers. So then I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to get my head wrapped around project management. But I wasn't ready to commit. So I pursued um, company consulting companies for when I was graduating. So 
I ended up getting an offer before graduation and went straight into IT consulting. So that was very like, you can literally be doing a different role every quarter, just depending on the project you get put on. So I did software testing. I did incident management. I did all kinds of different things. And then the last project at my consulting firm was a project management project. And I just loved it. Like, I, it clicks. I love like how you can you can talk tech, right? You can t- you need to be able to talk to the more engineer type people, but you also have to take it the other way and be able to talk to the VPs and things like that. And I like being able to kind of switch in between and having a bird's eye view of everything that's going on. Other thing about more of the harder technical roles is you're very in your lane. You don't really have much visibility into how the whole thing works together and me just being interested in how businesses works, how the business model is. I like being a project manager because, you know, I was doing initiatives that were pretty much boiling down to money. So it was understanding how, how do you organize teams in such a way to reach goals that are either reducing our expenses or increasing our revenue or like for instance on the project I was on they were a startup looking to go public so there was a lot of compliance involved and things like that so it was just much more breadth to it and I also didn't have to be interacting with any one type of person too much you know what I mean that's what I like the most because there's so many different personalities and everyone I talk to kind of a little bit here and there, I'm not trapped into any box. So yes. um, consulting is brutal though. So I got burned out. Like if anyone follows me or wants to follow me, I share my story a lot. I got burned out. It became a very emergency for my mental health. And I took a step back and reevaluated um, one working at the company and two working in consulting in general. But What I will say for anyone in consulting is a lot of times they pay for certifications and training. And I took advantage of that while I was on leave and I got my project management certification. So then I came back after my leave. I quit. I had a certification and then I started putting out apps for project management and program management. And now I'm a technical program manager at Saks Fifth Avenue. Yes, so many things to touch on. Um, (laughs) First, we got to touch on use these jobs and don't let them use you. So take everything from the job. Like when I say everything, I mean everything (laughs) that you Everything and ask for more. Everything and then ask for more again beyond that. So yes. That that was definitely a gem. We're going to talk about, I don't want to lose this. We're going to talk about SACS and kind of the difference between technical program management and then what is like project management and then maybe even a program, uh, product, product management, if you could speak to that, because I know there's a lot of mm-hmm. confusion about the different roles. I know I get asked some of those questions, even though I'm not there, but I do get asked some of those questions too about the differences and the different skill sets. But I want to go back to like, why would I be an engineer? Because I am like team no code on this in life and in this podcast. Um, And 
I want to talk about when you said that working in technical program management, it lets you see like all sides, a bird's eye view, and it doesn't trap you into a box. And I think what people don't know about, again, like no shame to software engineers, like do you, if it's working for you. Yeah. One thing that people don't realize about the more technical jobs is that you're very siloed and you literally Mm -hmm. work in a box because you're getting Mm -hmm. paid to do this one thing over and over every single day. And you kind of don't really get any kind of skills, any diversity in skills, any diversity in exposure or experience outside of like, you know, data science or like... Mm -hmm coding like you you're literally that is only thing you're getting paid to do and they will they will measure you down to the hour and the second and you better not be doing anything else because the Mm -hmm. if you're not doing what they said you were doing in that sprint Mm -hmm. that's what they're paying you for and so you know when I realized that that was like a big cheat code for me in tech because like I realize I'm coming to the table with so much more skills and experience that you do need to pay me the same as a software engineer or more because I'm doing more and yep. I have more diversity in my experience because I get to see like the business side and the technical side. And, and I have to find a way to navigate in between both. And then another thing that you said that was a huge gem was that you're working on projects that move and affect the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And like for anybody who's in the layoff season right now, been affected by layoffs for anybody who, you know, you're trying to navigate, you're trying to make more intact. You don't know what to do next. Like focus on activities that are affecting the bottom line. That's mm-hmm. like the number one thing that you need to do to stand out or to even get a promotion. Like what yeah. can you do that's making the company more money or saving the company money or uh, working on the next best thing that's going to drive like efficiency, money, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anything Processes, yeah. yeah. That is like, so that is keys right there. Goal because... <sighs> Yeah, because yeah. let me tell you, as a as a program manager, a lot of what I have visibility into is budget and resource planning, which is who's getting hired when and who's getting fired when. And I'll just put it this way. If, if budget cuts are being made, you want to be the person designing the budget, not yeah. getting cut from it. Facts. Yep. That's and they will get rid of three engineers before they get rid of one program manager. That's the backdrop. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> so let's go to the point about kind of like what is the difference between technical progress project. See, it's too many names. Technical <laughs> technical program manager first, and like creative project manager, or like a non-technical project manager. Let's start there because I think maybe people there might be, they might be hearing about program management in tech right now for the first time, or they never knew that there were like technical specific technical program managers. 
Yeah. Okay. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of confusion because I see people throwing different words out, like in different contexts that sometimes don't make sense. And it is confusing even for me sometimes. Like I had to change my resume a lot because I was not putting the right vocabulary on there to describe what I could do. So I'll break down just the hierarchy first, and then I'll go into technical versus non-technical. Because so there's project manager, which is you're doing the same skills I do, but only you're only doing one project at a time. And then there's program manager, where you have a program of multiple projects that you're conducting to achieve this common goal. And then there's portfolio manager, where you you either are managing multiple program managers or you're managing multiple programs yourself, usually some combination of the both, right? Because each program manager has their own programs and you're kind of organizing it all to work, more orchestrating it all to work um, towards the shared goal. So those are the different hierarchies as far as experience, seniority, skills, and pay. That's how it goes, project, program, portfolio. Now, technical versus non-technical is where it gets a little sticky because the skills are really transferable, but it's just a matter of you have to learn how to talk tech to be able to be a technical program manager. And when I say talk tech, I mean, like, an event planner is a, is a program manager, right? Because there, it's the same skills. It's planning, it's timeline. A wedding planner is a program manager. It's, it's the same thing, but a wedding planner would not be able to easily just go to a company one day and be a technical program manager because then there's a lot of intricacies that come in as far as understanding the different parties and the different, how to set up the different projects from a technical perspective. And when I say that, I mean like, just the teams, right? You may be working with a cybersecurity team, an identity and access management team, an audit team, a cloud engineering team. That's not things that you can just walk off the street or like watch a few YouTube videos and be able to have like productive conversations with those people. That's where my information systems like comes into play. Cause I understand they literally taught us how to build an enterprise of IT architecture, which is just the collection of all the systems and all the applications that a company uses to work. So that's what I would say is the difference between a technical program manager and a non-technical or creative. And advice I would give, because technical is higher paying, because tech is where all the money is and will be for the foreseeable future. So I do hear a lot of people who want to transition to technical. And my advice for that would be to, one, get your program management certification from a technical organization like a Google, which is where my certification's from, because they give you a little bit of that. But I would also say to get a technical certification in one high-demand technical area. Mm -hmm. So I would get a beginner certification in cloud security or a beginner certification or a cloud engineering or like AWS, Amazon Web Services. I would get a beginner certification in cloud engineering, um, which is AWS. I would get a beginner certification in cybersecurity or 
I would say cloud, cyber, or you really wouldn't be able to do that non-technically. I would honestly just say cloud or cyber. There's plenty of demand there. So if you're coming from non-technical, trying to break into the field, I would get that program management cert and get either a cloud or a cyber cert. Or if you get both, you're definitely going to get the job. And do you say that because of um, people kind of niching down and having more so a niche skill set so that they can stand out? Yeah, I would say niching down and it's also just a foot in the door. Like one thing I've learned is you do learn 90% of what you need to know on the job. But if you have nothing to show for it, technology, the tech industry is, in my opinion, the only what we call meritocracy. So it's only based on what have you done and what can you prove that you've done. So to me, me, if I interviewed someone and they want to be a technical program manager and they could be killing it in the event event planning space, but if you can't show me where you were able to understand technology and create a project around it, like you're just not getting the job. And that's nothing against a person, but it's actually a positive because you don't necessarily need a degree to prove what you've done. You just need yeah. you need that first project or that first certification, which the reason I recommend certification is because a lot of them do case study projects. So at the end of the cert, you have a project where you can prove that you do know how to talk the talk and you can show your results and that will get your foot in the door. Now, it will still be an uphill battle and it'll be hard to get a grasp of everything. It's very common to be compared to drinking from a fire hose when you, you first enter tech or first enter a project. And like that is so accurate. It's not even funny. Like literally imagine trying to drink from a high pressure like hose. So it's going to be hard, but I would say niching down and just getting one of the most high demand things on your resume, it'll get your foot in the door at the very least. Yeah, I want to touch on two things. You got to have receipts. I always tell people this, like working in tech is about receipts, like having them, keeping them updated, being able to storytell about them. That's like your whole life. Um, that's it that's it i know people who come out of prison into tech because they have receipts yeah that's it receipts and i think that another thing that you said that made me think of this is like it just clicked in my head why a lot of people have a disconnect with like when you know they hear advice like oh just start today oh just hop on google and get a cert start doing the work start practicing start talking the talk is because I think that there's never really been a f- field. I've never heard that word meritocracy, but it's true. I don't think that there's ever been a field where these things are happening. So people mm-hmm. are not used to this type of industry. Like you can't just wake up tomorrow and be a doctor. You can't just wake up tomorrow and be a lawyer. You can't just mm-hmm. wake up tomorrow and be like a rocket scientist or design yeah. role. But you can't wake up tomorrow and start working. You can. You You literally can. Twenty twenty two and be like, I don't know, 
collecting garbage, and then in 2023 you could be working in tech. Like it is six it's figures amazing. in six months. It's like, for thing. real. Yeah, and I think people that concept is like foreign for most people. Yeah, yeah. It's so, foreign. It's very hard to grasp, but I think also. What I've noticed with tech is people tend to, they're intimidated by it and they don't realize how it's, it's actually very simple. It's just logic. Like once someone tells you it, you know it and you're good to go. Just don't be scared to start. Yeah. So let's talk about what it is that you do in technical program management day to day. Like, what do you do? What's the job like? And then who are the people that you work with that you need to work with in not your team, but like, who do you need to work mm-hmm. with on a day basis? So what I do day to day is, so, okay, let me just break it into phases because project management is pretty much done in phases. So the first thing that happens is the company or a team or some Usually some like higher up person either does one of two things that either come up with a very vague goal, like, oh, we want to be like way better at our operations next year. Or they'll highlight a problem that needs to be fixed. That's probably causing us a lot of money. So that's where a project is born from or a program. And my job is to put details to what that vague goal or problem even actually means get figure out who and who all needs to be involved to fix the problem or achieve the goal and create a detailed plan usually about a quarter at a time of what needs to be done each week by each person to achieve that goal or solve that problem so I'll give an example of like something I'm working on now so it makes a little more sense. One of our goals at SACS is to achieve operational excellence. So like, what does that mean? Like literally. <laughs> um, so literally the first thing I did when I joined, um, I had there was a few projects that were handed off and there was a few that was just in the general vague sense. So First thing is I look at our operations, which is literally how are we doing things here? What is not working well and what is working well? And how do we eliminate what's not working well and lean into and spread across more teams the things that are working well? And so that comes down to policy, processes, and procedures. So I can't share any like detailed specifics of like confidential information, obviously. But it can be things as simple as the way that we do our paperwork, like how um, there's a a concept called data governance, where there's actually rules into how you're supposed to save files because there's customer data, um, there's company data, there's financial data, how you save files and how you organize digital drives, which is just our filing cabinets on the cloud. So there's opportunities like that to improve how those things are being done, because one, if it's a compliance issue, that could be a fine, which is a huge cost, which it, it, compliance can be millions of dollars a year in fines. Yeah. Um, and then two, that feeds into efficiencies where 
you know, let's say, God forbid, our website goes down and no one can find like the document of how to fix the one system that is now messed up for four days. At that, we have $12 million days during holiday season. So that's $50 million if someone just because someone could not find a Google Doc. Like, that's not cool. So if if that was the real situation, something I would do is, one, identify who are the people organizing these drives, what's the logic they have or haven't been using thus far. And then I would go and find some sort of template of industry, industry standard ways of how we should be governing our data, how we should be organizing it. Um, how we should be securing it, right? Everyone shouldn't be able to just click and see every document. Like, people shouldn't be able to see, like, our finances just because, like, they found it in the Google Drive. So making sure, outlining a policy that states clearly who needs to have access to what, how, what's the process for requesting access, what's the process for those things getting approved, and then also creating documentation around where is everything stored? Um, and who are the stakeholders who can give me the answers to create the policies? So if I want to know what our security should be, who should have access to what, I'm going to bring in our info security team leads because they're going to tell me what, mm-hmm. according to their standards, what should and shouldn't be available to easily access by a random person who works at a fact store in Miami. Right. And then another thing, part of that would be once we create all this documentation, creating an adoption plan to make sure we don't have all this documentation sitting somewhere that everyone knows what to do, when to do it. And they're trained on, okay, let's do a mock incident where today the website's down. You have 30 minutes to get it back up. Go find what you need to find. Now, after that happens, we're all going to debrief, see what went well, what didn't. And we're going to repeat the same thing with every team so that by the time, not if, but when it does happen in real life, everyone knows exactly what to do. Or someone remembered, oh, yeah, they told us this, blah, 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 go try this. So that's just a hypothetical project that, like, is very common. I've seen that at multiple companies when I consulted. So that would just be one example of one project I may be doing. Right now, I have a portfolio of five projects. Wow. So funny how so many things are related in tech. So like when you describe talking about the info, you know, you might have a meeting kind of interviewing the info sec people. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, that's called requirements. Like I need to gather my requirements. (laughs) before I can get into like what is this actual thing that I'm doing so yeah that's so cool and then I love that that mock I'm I'm trying to think about how I can steal that and put it into like something that I need to do at my job that's totally not related to that but I love that mock um that mock like incident yeah yeah that mock incident like creating these situations and then seeing how the team responds and reacts and then repeating, iterating, repeating. Like, I feel like I could use that in some of the workflows that I um, need to create with my team because I'm on an ops team or I'm like Mm -hmm. a person. So (laughs) that would be Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's a a big gem you dropped that I'm even going to steal and use. So 
What is it like working at sex? Like somebody listening might have just been inspired because maybe they wanted a fashion related job or they they wanted to work in tech, but they wanted it to be like in a more creative company or known mm-hmm. brand that is like creative. I think a lot of people, I, I don't know where you are on the Fang conversation. I'm not, I'm not a fan of Fang. Me neither. Let's talk about why. I have no desire. Yeah. Yeah. No desire. But yeah. How do you, how do you like working at Saks? What's the makeup like? How's your first, I think you might be at 60, 90 days, somewhere between there. I'm at yeah. 60. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so how's it like working there? And then kind of what made you choose something like that versus you know, anywhere else. I think a lot of people are maybe misled that they have to work at a FANG or they have to work at like a tech company, Airbnb, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't realize that a tech, like at, at some point, every company is going to be a tech company. Yeah, exactly. For me, it was kind of a revelation I had. Once again, I think it was nothing but the Lord, but so. The way I ended up at Zach is that I hated my old job so much. I wanted something completely opposite. That's just like a thousand percent honest. Now, with my old job, there was multiple things going on. One, it was consulting, which is known to be brutal. Two, it was a tech company, which is also known to be brutal from insiders. I think that I would like to highlight to the audience, don't let these TikTok, Instagram people fool you about their day, going to get a free coffee, blah, 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 their stock options. Mm -hmm. Like, trust me, there's a reason these people are trying so hard to lure you in because it is a hellhole when you get in there. And I'm not being dramatic. I I know people who have worked at every company in Fang. Um, I know people who... In other tech companies you haven't heard of, the tech industry itself is notorious for being brutal because they know how replaceable you are because so many people have a desire to go there. And because the pay is so high, they can always lure people in with pay and benefits. But it's it's nowhere near worth what you'll have to be selling your soul for. And when I say selling your soul, I'm saying people are expecting 80 hour work weeks minimum at some companies. Yeah. People are expecting you to not take PTO for six to nine months at a time. People are expecting you to let them talk to you like you're a dog, like and beyond. And there are racial implications within the tech industry as well, because it's America. It's the world. It's 2022. And anywhere that there's not a lot of us, people people already will see us at the bottom of the totem pole. Mm-hmm. And with tech having kind of an elitism kind of air about it already, uh, they definitely bring that in as well in the major tech companies. It's white guys on top. Everybody else trickles down with black women at the bottom, usually. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a position of influence, it's the respect level that what I really mean and the way they treat you and how much they expect you to go above and beyond and to accept less pay and benefits to do way more than other people. 
So that's why I'm anti-fang and I'm just anti-glorifying the tech industry as a whole. Because at first I thought it was just me, but once I start connecting with my friends, it's tech companies, like just hands down. So with that being said, what brought me to Saks was, first off, I love Saks. It's amazing. I love it so much. What brought me to Saks is I love fashion. So I literally, during that time when I I hit the finesse, I took my leave, I came back, I got my cert, I dipped out, I waited as long as possible on the bench. If you don't know what the bench is and consulting is when you don't have a project yet, but you still get paid. So I waited on the bench to the last minute and they pulled me for a project. I slid my two weeks in and was out of there. And I was literally just like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, first off, I had an emergency fund. Let me say that. So don't do no crazy stuff saying I told you to. Um, (laughs) I had an emergency fund. I had a quarter to figure out what I was going to do. And about halfway through that quarter, I I couldn't even apply because I was so traumatized from the tech companies. Like I couldn't even search and like save the job because I just knew I didn't want to. So one thing I do in my own personal life is I watch fashion shows on YouTube to make me feel better. Like any day, any issue, I put on... (laughs) I put on SF Channel, baby. We can go all the way back to... 1980 Chanel. I don't care. I, oh it's just, I feel like I have to put slide this in here. And the only person on earth is probably two people that only person on two people that can speak to this. But in college, when I wanted to feel better, I literally used to put on fashion shows, like in my yes. room. Ah, I love that. And I used to like. So only people know this is probably. I don't even know if my husband knows, but. My college roommate knows for sure because she used to be like, "What girl?" But yeah. Oh my god, that's crazy! I didn't even know anybody else did that. <laughs> Me either. See, this is really getting creepy now. We really gonna have to talk. We're gonna have to talk. I know it's not um, it definitely is. <laughs> but yeah, so that was my little therapy and. I was just watching it because I was stressed out and I wanted to be stressed. Stop trying for a minute, take a breather. And it just clicked. Like they need program managers too. <laughs> like they wow. know what it takes to put on a fashion show. So they need the best program managers in the world to make that happen every season. So then I, I just completely pivoted my whole job application strategy I was applying to Neiman's, I was applying to Saks, I was applying to Bloomingdale's corporate. They all had program manager positions open. And this is a fairly new thing because when I came out of college, I was looking for opportunities in fashion tech adjacent and there weren't any. Um, But I was applying to fashion magazines, Vogue, Elle, everything. I I shoot for the start. I told you, I built the computer. So yeah. I shoot for the stars. The the magazines I like, the fashion I like, I look to see if they had it. And if not, I even sent some emails saying that I think they could definitely use having a technical program manager um, and outlined why I think that was a good idea and some ideas I had to implement. So that's how I got to staff. They, they had a quick turnaround. The pay was looking real nice. Unlimited PTO. Trips to New York on them, 
insane discount. I love fashion, so I'm going to be spending money there anyway. And the people, really the people, there's a lot of women of color in leadership, and that really mm-hmm. connected with me. And the number one thing on my list applying was the company culture because I came from such a toxic and abusive work culture and I could just feel it oozing off of everyone. They actually love working there. They actually love the people they work with. It's much more like a work family. That doesn't mean anything's perfect, but it makes the job so much easier. Um, So that's, that's why I'm here and that's why I'm loving it. I love that for you. I don't know if it's the same across the board with all fashion companies, but I did hear this. I have somebody that one of my good friends that is in the fast, well, two really good friends in the fashion industry in corporate. And one of them always speaks to, they haven't worked at many places in fashion that have black women in leadership, but I think that that is so important. And a lot of times you're not going to find that in tech. So when Mm -hmm. you do find it, uh, it's definitely a blessing and something that would attract me to a role as well. And I like how you talk about mm-hmm. having these sort of like values in your job search. And I feel like a lot of people don't have that. And that's probably like what's keeping you running into a wall or getting stuck or frustrated because like you have to know what you're about and what you're looking for, what you will and won't stand And don't just let these jobs come and give you an offer if you don't even like anything that (laughs) is about the company. Yeah, like you don't even like the company. If it's violating your your boundaries and your values, then no, don't take that offer. Yeah. So don't even apply. Yeah, don't even apply. Don't even waste your time. So I want to talk about how you take up space. We talked about like what it's like in a fan culture. We talked about, you know, a lot, just, this is the, this is America. Like black women are the most disrespected. We know that. And especially in tech, we can be at like the bottom of the totem pole, like you said. So how do you continuously come and take up space and like just, show up as you are, kill it, and not feel like you have to like dim your light because you're a Black woman in tech? Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a tough one. I'd say it's definitely a daily journey. And I, I will say, like, because I'm big on mental health with my own like platform, like, I will say PTSD is very real. So that was my biggest adjustment coming to this positive environment of just feeling, getting comfortable being me, getting comfortable taking up space, um, not being scared that everything I do was going to get me cussed out. Like, so that's something I work on, but I've seen a tremendous change in just the short 60 days. And a lot of that has to do with my team, you know, and that goes back to the selection process. And some of that is just intuition of being able to tell how genuine people are and um, their energy. And I, I, my props goes out to my manager because she is amazing. She empowers me. She encourages me. She prepares me for things. She hears me when I'm, I can tell her, like, I'm scared. I can tell her. I think I might have a panic attack if I have to present to the CIO and she jumps in, no questions asked. 
we even had a conversation about the New York trick. I was very nervous about it. And she she arranged all kinds of special arrangements where I didn't have to ride the subway. I could leave or come at any time. It was an understanding. I didn't have to be in the office, even though I was in the city. So a lot of that goes back to my team, for one, picking a good team, or at least one advocate that you know will have your back, who has the power, yeah, and who has the authority to really have your back. And then two, I would say leading with excellence. Like, I mean, from the interview, I came out the gate swinging. I had a, I had a presentation deck. I had, I had three rounds of interviews. Between the first one and the second one, I created a deck and I presented that and I anticipated the questions my manager would ask me and I answered them in the questions. So that alone already set the tone. That's the first time she ever met me. So that already set the tone. Like not only is she competent for a black woman or to be young or to have just a few years of experience, like this person is on another level, just period. Like people don't bring presentations to interviews. Like she was like, I need to do that at my next interview. Like, so I would say always, going above and beyond and always making sure that anything with your name attached to it, especially as a program manager, there's a lot of things where you depend on other people, but you have to have a high standard for anything, any deliverable with your name attached to it. And you have to do what it takes to get that deliverable to that standard, no matter what. Sometimes that does mean working late. Sometimes that does mean having very uncomfortable conversations, but at the end of the day, you have to completely eliminate, the way I see it, my job is not to eliminate stereotypes from people's minds. My job is to create new ones. So if I'm the only Black woman a lot of these people are interacting with, I want Ari to be associated with, she's going to kill it, I can depend on her. She's here every day. She has such a pleasant smile. She People be throwing her all kinds of curves, and she does not be phased. And then you start to rewire the image of Black women in people's minds. So then the next person actually has the benefit of the doubt that you have now created because you have established such a standard of excellence. And that's how I really approach everything I do. That's a super gem. Like when the when this comes out, this is a word. That's somebody's word. And that is really one of the definitions of taking up space because you're now creating like a whole you you're creating space literally for the next person, yeah. after, the next black woman that comes after you. And then it gives more opportunity for more black women to come after you for sure. So and yeah. that's something that I I take very seriously in tech because there's not that many of us anyway. So I do, I would like to open up space opportunity, open up doors for um, people to come after me for sure. So I love that. Yeah. Um, so let's one, get- one last quick, quick thing. Sorry. One quick thing about that too, because I do want to highlight, you know, it was a black tech recruiter who got my foot in the door at SAC. So I just want to also nice. encourage people to remember that just because you look around and don't see a lot of people that look like you don't come from a scarcity mindset. Like 
if another one comes in or, you know, or if maybe there's a black person there who's not quite at the high standard that you're exhibiting, like we are a community and we're here to help each other out. And that's the only way we can make any change at all. I know for a fact, if my recruiter who pulled my resume was not black, I would not be a sex. Wow. Yeah. Even though I'm overqualified. Shout out to black people in and out of tech that are in any way along that process, opening the door for other black people to come through and I, I don't know if any Black person has opened the door for me because I haven't had that full circle moment as far as on the recruiting side. Definitely mm-hmm. had a Black manager who's my mentor and love her. She's going to be on the podcast at some point. But yeah, um, yeah, it's so it's so important to to have these kinds of experiences. Definitely feel like it gives you like Restored hope, like you said, like when you were coming from a place that had negativity, that things were broken to get into this new space where it's completely opposite. So, yeah, I I love that. And I think it's super important. So I wanted to end on talking about your new YouTube channel. So why don't you tell us what is next for you coming up in 2023? Yes, I'm super excited. I've been doing Ari Talks Tech almost a year now, and I realized that there's so many nuances and so many questions and things to explain that the best platform to really provide content and information to people is through YouTube. So I've stood up the Ari Talks Tech YouTube channel. It's it's live now. Please go and subscribe. You will see a few videos on there already of just what I call my tech talks. It's really just me kind of giving my perspective on the world, but coming January 2023, we're officially launching a full strategy rollout. I'll be talking about career advancement and into project management, what I call getting into the side door. So teaching people how to pivot from any career field into technical project or program management to get, I mean, I I won't say guarantee, but most people will be able to achieve a six-figure salary with about six months of work. And then the other part of it, too, is just for anyone who wants to learn how to talk tech, because nowadays, everything we do is connected to technology, whether that's just you can't figure out why your computer won't charge or you can't find that really cute photo you took. It's going to be general kind of just technical classes, teaching you how to use your phone, how to use your computer, um, what the different file types are, why you shouldn't be accepting all cookies. I get these questions all the time. I'm actually going to my mom's house right after this to troubleshoot her computer. So I'm compiling a list of all these questions I get, all these common issues, and I'm answering them on my channel as well. So hopefully teach you how to talk tech and give you back a little bit more of your free time and a lot more peace of mind as you navigate 2023 and beyond. I love it. Everybody um, go and follow, subscribe, um, watch what's up there. I'm super excited to see everything that you have coming up. We, of course, will still be connected. Her handle is Ari Talks Tech, as she said. So you guys go ahead and check her out. Instagram, YouTube, TikTok too, or no? 
TikTok coming soon. Okay. But I'm not on TikTok yet. Okay, cool, cool. TikTok is is it's a lot going on. It's tricky. It's a lot, <laughs> but I know I gotta get on there. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much, Ari, for coming on. I really enjoyed this episode. It was like talking to an old friend. And have a good rest of your weekend and good week. Thank you. I'm so happy I got to talk to you. And thank you for letting me speak to your viewers as well. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in and taking your time out to check out this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to know what you think about this episode. So please DM me, reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at Gen Talks Tech. You can also email me questions about the show. Let me know what or which dope black women in tech that you want to see guest host with me next. Email me at message at talkyoursass.com or you can text me at 202-978-4072. You can find this episode online at talkyoursass.buzzsprout.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and review. Refer your tech best friend or your favorite tech baddie. Head over there and read the full show notes. If you really want to see us win, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Spotify, whether that is Google Podcasts, I don't know, but check it out. I love hearing from dope women like you. So I love reading your reviews, questions, and comments about the show. So if you have a minute, go ahead and do that and leave one for me. Again, thanks for listening to the Talk Your Sass show with Jennifer Wentz. Until next time, I am making room, taking up space, and of course, talking more sass.